From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. So, uh, so anything new happening at your end of the kingdom? Oh, um, hmm, what is happening? Nothing really. So mm-hmm. it's been slow ever since we lost that redhead. It's it feels yeah. like we've just all been in a a daze and slumber. And so <laughs> if, if you're over at uh, Epcot, you know you have the Flower and Garden Festival, mm-hmm. but that's that's not helping us cope with the redhead and. And it, gosh, it's been like three weeks since that happened. So yeah, it's just a a boring old time here out in uh, in Walt Disney World. But mm-hmm. hey, every now and then it's nice to to be a little bit bored. Yeah, Disneyland. She's still walking the streets of Norland Square for just a little while longer. I know, I know. <laughs> there's a there's a chance that there will be a trip out in Disneyland that none of us have talked about right now at this point but i'm just like now that i know that the last day for her is april 22nd i believe it's just like oh i don't think that's gonna happen but it would be great yeah yeah and they uh yeah and they they've released the artist renderings of what pixar pier is going to look like yeah that was that was the big news over the weekend is seeing uh I guess I forgot they did. They did show Mr. Wheezy inside Toy Story Land. That was that was our great update. You with Pixar Pier, you got your concession stands all featured on what you're going to be able to get there. You got more new concept art. You found out that people got to to go into the dish at Imagineering and see what it would look like to ride the Incredicoaster, and we got a Mr. Wheezy statue being yeah, installed. Yeah. So. Yeah, we found out what they're doing with the carousel over there. It's going to be um, Jesse's Critter Carousel. How cool did that look? It looked good. I've always thought that carousel is in the wrong place. A carousel should be where you have a view. It should have been like over at the, um, Paradise Bay or whatever they call that. Yeah. Uh, and Instead, it's in a corner by a wall. Yeah. And this it, one's going to be like mostly enclosed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I've never liked uh, where they shoved that. But so. I love the character design that they pulled, yeah. like, all those cartoony uh, woodland creatures from the from uh, Woody's Roundup and then used in Toy Story Mania. And it just it brings it all together. It, I think it looks neat as much as I will mm-hmm. never go on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at least it'll be pretty to look at from the outside looking in. 
Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, so we'll, we'll see what we'll see how it looks when it all yeah. opens. Where's Wheezy going in Toy Story Land? I don't know. So I, I almost thought that the photo was like photoshopped just because of how it was set up where they couldn't really like place exactly where he was going to be. But hopefully we'll find out soon. So just found out actually today that our, our little media preview that we're getting for it is the two days before uh, it has its grand opening on June 30th. So they must they must literally be working up to the wire to get this done because, heck, we were in. We were in Pandora, I think, over a month early. Plus, they started all the soft openings and and technical rehearsals before it had its. But it sounds like our Toy Story Land's going to be right up to the wire. So, oh well, probably because it's much more detailed than um, Pandora. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope people understand your your sarcasm on that one because you don't do it often. But <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> Anyway, well, a couple of weeks ago, Craig put out a call for questions we could use for another uh, question and answer episode. So this is an opportunity for a few members of our Connecting with Walt family to be a part of the show. So, Craig, we got a lot of fascinating and thought-provoking questions, didn't we? We absolutely did. Uh, Thank you guys so much for responding especially I, I think i posted it on a friday night a little bit before i actually posted the that week's show that was going out too and so I, I know on the west coast it would have been you know right around dinner time but on the east coast i think i think i made the post at like eight or nine o'clock at night and Within two days, we had 90 responses, I think is what I said on the last show. And it, it kept going from there once we talked about it a little more. So just thank you guys so much for for asking all your questions. And as as I complained about in the post and on the show a little bit, you all did great. It was barely any topic suggestions and, and mostly mm-hmm. questions that we could answer. So it's perfect. Right, yeah, and you know, regrettably, we're not going to be able to answer all of them, but um, just because there are so many, and there were some questions that I thought, oh, you know what, we could make them into an episode, yeah. so we won't be answering um, those couple um, because I think they're worth uh, a deeper explana- uh, exploration. Yeah, and um, so anyway, so I I will be hanging on to those questions. So, um, so we I I did go through them and I sort of grouped them like I did in last time we did this into some categories. I I have one listed under Walt Disney. I have uh, I have some listed under Walt Disney. Some under just Disney theme parks in general. That was where we got a majority of our questions. Mm-hmm. And then also, oh, let's see in here, um, Disney films. Films, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and then. The yeah, company, then, yeah, the Disney company, and then just and then there were some miscellaneous yeah. categories that either were general or um, so they sort of went around. All, they they went through a couple of different categories. Mm-hmm. I thought that'd be nice at the end. Yeah, exactly. Fun ones, so. clean up with. Okay. 
All righty. So um, well, why don't we jump in? Craig, do you want to choose the first one? Uh, yeah, I'm going to choose the first one. And literally, I'm going to choose the first one in our our question list because I think it's it's something that we've kind of talked about here and there before, something we even led a little uh, a little uh, tour of sorts during the 20th anniversary event, I believe, if I can remember correctly. I don't know. It's been so long now. But this question comes from Renee and says, in each of your respective parks, what attraction slash adventure or own personal tradition within the park do you enjoy in order to stay connected to Walt? So, Michael, you have a lot more options than I do. Okay. Well, yeah, so I, I'll take a look at <laughs> Disneyland here. Well, um, what, what I do is, well, if, if I'm just going in general, you know, I'm not going for a specific purpose, uh, I always walk down Main Street, USA, and I'll, I always check out windows, and I look at details and, and things like that, see what's new in the windows. Um, I like to go, um, I, I like to uh, go to great moments with Mr. Lincoln. You know, they have the Walt Disney story in there, and then... Um, it's just you know that was that was you know he he was uh, you know he admired um mr lincoln it was a great influence on his life it was the first large figured audio animatronic character that he made i will go to walt disney's enchanted tiki room because that was the first audio animatronic show that they did I I will walk usually over to the Storybook Land Canal Boats because of Walt's love of miniatures. It sort of uh, spawned um, Disneyland. And um, I, I just think it's charming. And, and it has so many of his characters, you know, depicted in scenes there in their little, uh, you know, homes and buildings yeah. and, and all that. Of course, I have to go on It's a Small World. So mm-hmm. um, for the because that was his, you know, he that launched him there at the 6465 World's Fair, along with great moments with Mr. Lincoln. And that, that's such a that, that's just so much Walt, you know, that yeah. that ride and its message. Um, I always sit at the Riverbell Terrace. I like to watch people in the Rivers of America because that's where Walt liked to sit. He liked to watch the traffic. Um, on the river, and that's where he would sometimes think about uh, what is he going to create next over at the, um, you know, for his park. And um, I, of course, have to ride the railroad. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it all started, you know, they say they, Walt built Disneyland so he'd have a place for his railroad. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, that was his last attraction that he actively worked on. So I like to go on that one. Uh, Haunted Mansion, I go on. It, you know, it, it, it was an, an idea of Walt's. It, of course, Walt didn't live long enough to really give clear direction to the Imagineers. But I think it's such a classic Disney attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like it. I always have to walk through Sleeping Beauty Castle. Um, again, because of that classic, you know photo there is of Walt walking through his empty park through the castle. I I gaze on the partner statue and think about how Walt would have despised 
it being in the park. <laughs> I do, I do like the message that Blaine Gibson, uh, you know, the story that Blaine Gibson has it telling of Walt and Mickey looking out down Main Street, and and Walt showing Mickey, look what we've created. Oh, and and then, when when those trees are in blossom right around the partner statue, and you get the perfect angle with the statue, the trees, and Sleeping Beauty Castle in the background, there is no better picture you could take in Disneyland. Unless maybe you're in it with your family and having fun, but uh, even then, you're hard-pressed. It's it's a beautiful area to be in at the right time of year. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And that, and that's probably one of the most common photos you see yeah. of, of, of the castle. And then, of course, I have to watch the fireworks because Walt was just so pleased with himself that they offered fireworks every night, you know, in the summer. And then, I, of course, on my way out, I have to check out the lamp in Walt's apartment, you know, above the firehouse. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, and, and so that's those are my traditions. Just a I couple do. things. Yeah, just a few things there. <laughs> There's so much to do. So, what about you, Craig? What do you do at Walt Disney World? Yeah, I mean, you could say, uh, well, I could say, not you, but... I, I could say that I go and do a lot of the things like Carousel of Progress, Enchanted Tiki Room, uh, you know, the the standard classics, the people mover, things that while they didn't originate in Magic or they didn't originate in the Magic Kingdom, they originated over in Disneyland. It still has that Walt connection to it. But honestly, if I am going to be connected to Walt, the only way to do it is by going over to Hollywood Studios and going into Walt Disney Presents. And that is, that's like the instant way of getting that fixed because it's it's the best I can do. I don't have the Walt Disney Family Museum in my backyard like Michael is lucky enough to have. I have to, I have to make do with the small little exhibit I get in a theme park in the movie when it is showing. But honestly, with the changes that they've made... Uh, since they've converted it to Walt Disney Presents and added more dioramas and models in there and uh, just kind of cleaned the place up a bit. I think think it's a really positive change. And you walk through there and you really do start to channel uh, Walt Disney as you're you're moving through. So I think it is an awesome way. And then uh, kind of to feed off what you said, uh, before they start showing the Star Wars fireworks at night, at Hollywood Studios, they still run uh, Disney Movie Magic, the little pre-show before. And while that does cover things like Pirates of the Caribbean, some of the new films that have been coming out, it actually does pay a lot of homage to a lot of the the older Disney classics, too, that he had a hand in making. And so I, I love that little tribute. And Happily Ever After is kind of the same way, even though it doesn't focus on classic Disney as much as it does more modern Disney um that the second even though they put it all the way at the end of the show which i think is a brilliant move uh on their part for it but the moment that tinkerbell steps out and and starts her flight and that finale starts to go and happily ever after it just i i feel like that is something that it's that walt disney magic that you look for so those are those are basically my three ways with Disney movie magic, happily ever after, and and then Walt Disney presents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, um, 
Yeah, I think those are the best ways to get in touch with Walt. So yeah, it's it's so. much easier on your coast. <laughs> it is. Well, you know, yeah. Walt, Walt spent a lot of time there. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's nice that he's well represented in the in, over at Walt Disney World. Yeah, besides you can, his name being exactly. You, you can find other ways. It's again, though, it's all personal. Like I, mm-hmm. I celebrate Walt in different ways uh, when I go to Disneyland. I mean, there are some similarities, like the walk up Main Street, which. I feel dirty now if I ride the monorail in the first day that I get to that that park and I go straight <laughs> to Tomorrowland. I just I feel awful for basically the rest of the day. Uh, but you know, there's there's little things that that I agree on. But it's all about how you view Walt and and what you view are the important things. So mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, for our next question, I'm going to choose one from Richard Summers. If you could bring back any retired attraction, what would it be? But with the stipulation, you have to update it with new technology. So Hmm. what do you add to it? Okay, for my attraction, I I would actually choose Alien Encounter. Mm-hmm. It is one of those ones I don't think I appreciated it enough until like the last time I actually got to experience it. And in terms of new technology, let, let's just be frank. There's there's plenty of stuff. I think they have really upped their game in 4D effects in, in the years since that ha- has been gone. They could. They could make it even scarier than the little snarl sounds and the little bit of water they splash on you here and there. Heck, the the chili dog scent from Stitch's Great Escape was scarier than most of the <laughs> things in Alien Encounter. But uh, I just and then to think if we could have had an animatronic in there as technologically advanced as as the Stitch animatronic was and what what they've done with the jack sparrow ones in in the shaman uh in uh in the navi river journey to think if we had a fluid alien in the middle like that now i just it could be it could be new levels of terrifying so that that's the immediate you know there's always the ones that i want to i want to see horizons back i want to see world of motion but alien encounter just it got a it got a bad shake it was it was good, and it, it could even be better. I agree, and I think today's audiences would probably accept it a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. But I think that would have a better place in Tomorrowland and what they've done with it now. Yeah. So, but what would yours be? Well, it's funny. Mine is also at Disneyland's Tomorrowland uh, it, because I think there's very little of Walt in that land. I would bring back the People Mover. Uh, because it adds kinetics to that land that is sa- sadly missing uh-huh. from there. Uh, I would improve it by making the trains maglev. Uh, the cars would have to be enclosed, and the track would probably have to be rebuilt and rerouted because uh, it, they have to allow for evacuation routes that the current track really doesn't provide a lot of. Uh, Of course, this is just one part of my uh, desire to knock down Tomorrowland, (laughs) except for the submarines. Uh, I think that land is just, um, 
it's just a shell. And I, 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 as I've said before, I, it's an embarrassment. And I, I don't understand how they've allowed it to just languish this long for decades. Yeah. So that would be my start, is to bring back the people movers. And, uh, and make and it, it Rocket Rods 2.0, right? Uh, no, I think <laughs> I think just a nice little cruise through there would be good. But it would be a lot smoother and a lot more, and, and you know, make it a lot, make it more interesting along, you know, along the tracks. Yeah. Um, you know, not only give it a view of the land, whatever it would be, but since it would have to hug the buildings a little more. Yeah. Um, yeah, make some, have some interesting scenes yeah. in there that hopefully are themed to um, the land. Yeah, not all new technology has to be shiny and animatronic based, and mm-hmm. it can it can be just smoother rides around. So yeah. Okay, next question. Yes. I I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, good. no, that was me saying it. So I'm mm-hmm. deciding now. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with. I'm going to go with this one from Spencer. It's a little bit more based on Walt Disney World and the fact that it's all based on Walt Disney World. But I would be interested in your opinion from a a, a non-local. But Spencer says, what do you guys think about what appears to be development towards Walt Disney World becoming more of a high-end destination? Uh, by this, I mean the increase in DVC villas, high-end shopping at Disney Springs, extra ticket events, amongst other trends. Does this contrast sharply with Walt and Roy's vision for Walt Disney World? Yeah, you know, I think I, I think about this a lot, and I do think that it's starting to get priced. Fam- just regular families, I think are starting to get are definitely getting priced out. Yeah. I think for Walt Disney World. And I and I know that there's a feel that uh well, you know, the extra ticket events, well, you know, if you can those are extras, you don't have to do them so they're okay. And and I understand that concept, but it it is starting sometimes to I don't know, get a feel of the haves and have-nots and I, I do think Disney's starting to go overboard. Like the the latest one I read at, at Animal Kingdom about the um whatever that nighttime event is that they have going on over there. And it's hundred and twenty five dollars and I'm thinking, you don't get a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> For the hundred and twenty-five dollars, I mean, it's and it's even more for like a meet and greet or something in Dino Land, and um, and so you know, I think you get some sort of um, you get to see the Tree of Light at night, or I I don't know what it is, and but um, yeah, and I I think it's sad when I when I hear the ticket prices go up and then you see on the boards families computing how much it is a day and yeah you do get it it is a full day of entertainment and when you compare it to the cost of a movie and all that yeah okay but maybe it is um maybe it works out in the end better but then when you think about especially at disneyland there are so many crowds that you um it's harder to even get on a decent number of attractions at the park sometimes I think to make it worth your while. Yeah. If if you are if this is like your one trip in two years 
or one trip in a lifetime, if you're only going on five or six attractions a day, um, I don't know. I I think that would be very disappointing. When I'm an annual pass holder, I know I'm going back. You know, that's a good day. Yeah. So, um, so I I do think that. Um, I do think it's not Walt and Roy's vision. I mean, I know that, you know, Walt kept the price of the parking lot down just so that it was more affordable. Walt um, and Roy, they undercharged for certain items like the, the souvenir books and all that because of the marketing value. Everybody would buy one and they'd have them on their coffee tables. And yeah. so other people would see them and it would be advertising in people's homes to go to the parks. So, you know, there there were things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do... Th- I, I don't know if Walt and Roy would... I think they'd understand, of course, there's inflation, you have to pay for the new technology and all that, but I, I don't know if they, they'd like the fact that uh, an average middle-class or lower-middle-class family, it, the parks just may be out of their, their reach. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a tough question. I can't answer it on behalf of... Uh, I mean, it's different for me because I don't pay the money, so I can't answer it on behalf of the the tourists who are out there spending that much money coming here since I see it from the annual pass holder aspect of it. But I I will say just from my time with the Diz, the one thing that has been very apparent to me that I didn't realize it before is how many repeat visitors – Come and I'm not talking about on a yearly basis. I'm talking the people who are who have to be down here a minimum of three times a year because that's how much this place means. And when you start to think about that, well, it's you know these people are end up spending weeks of their life down here every year. They had to end up building Disney Springs not because they wanted high end shopping available. Yeah, it's making income from stores pain to be in that area but the whole idea was that we were told by disney executives that it was at the point where if someone broke their shoe while they were at walt disney world their basically their only option was to leave property and go to the outlets and spend time and money outside of it where if they have if they have stores for those needs when you realize you forgot something if you can just go to disney springs and pick it up that that keeps you on property. And so even though it is really pricing people out at the same time, I do kind of see this community being built up where it's nothing like what Epcot should have been, but it is funny how people are working towards the goal of, I want to live at Walt Disney world as much as possible. I want to, I want to have everything I need right in that area. So I, 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 do think it is against the ultimate vision of Walt Disney World, but at the same time, it's there are some ideas in there that you could start to argue, like if Epcot would have happened and Walt Disney World would have become this this bigger overall community, maybe we would have seen some of these things. We definitely know the malls would have been in there, so Disney Springs would have been a big aspect of it, but... We probably wouldn't have all the extra parks. We wouldn't have a Hollywood Studios and Animal Kingdom, so that doesn't mm-hmm. work. But it's yeah. a very interesting topic. It is. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, oh me. Alrighty. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of good ones. Yeah. To look through here. So. Okay, this is from Daniel. Although it was said Disneyland is not a museum, what attraction do you think should stay forever due to its historical significance? Hmm. We just kind of talked about this really briefly on the the Walt Disney World show that we recorded a little bit ago and talked about iconic attractions and uh, in terms of Disneyland since Disneyland's not a museum I'm just sticking with that I'm not going to talk about world but the the one iconic thing I think the, the one of the most if not the most I do think it's Pirates of the Caribbean in Disneyland Park I, I would be devastated. I know some people love the Disneyland Paris version more. Never been, so I can't tell you. But I, I know that in terms of in terms of Disneyland, when I'm out there, that is there are basically two attractions that I will never miss, uh, no matter what amount of time I have. And that's that's Indiana Jones Adventure and and Pirates of the Caribbean. And I don't think Pirates mm-hmm. has or I don't think Indiana Jones has the historical significance that that Pirates does, but um I'm actually going to take a left here and completely go against that even though I think it's the most iconic for me. Uh it would be the Enchanted Tiki Room. To me that is that has the most historical significance all the way around uh, from the enchanted tiki garden going into the show. It just, it just is, I think it is so, so important to Disneyland and the fact that soon we'll have in Disneyland, we'll have the new uh, dining establishment, whatever it will be quick service, sit down. I, I don't know those details, but right outside the exit, of enchanted tiki room and and beside beside the jungle cruise like that's just going to add to that area so much so i i would say enchanted tiki room for me that's i agree that was what i had jotted down (laughs) walt disney's enchanted tiki room because it was walt it has his name on it but also it yeah for the historic reasons it was the first audio animatronic um attraction and you know and when they have um changed it at other parks it it has been a lesser attraction as a result mm-hmm. it has never been as good as the in my opinion as the original attraction and i'm glad that even though maybe they they have changed it at other parks that we still have the pristine one at Walt Disney at Disneyland, they have shortened it. You know, they did take out a, a tiny bit of it, but of the original show. But yeah, it's still it's still Walt's attraction. Yeah. So um, yeah, and it is nice that the Tahitian Terrace or Aladdin's Oasis is reopening as yeah. a, as a new outdoor seating area. I guess it's going to be like a marketplace. Yeah, it, it honestly doesn't matter as long as there's going to be a place there to to buy a, a drink so you can sit there mm-hmm. and even if it's just water and 
and a little bit of soda, not like a specialty non-alcoholic cocktail in there. It's it doesn't have to be amazing. It just has to be a nice place to sit around and mm-hmm. relax and and just enjoy that perfect perfect area and yeah, watch listen the crowds to the jungle. shuffle through. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> listen to the jungle. We're all hoping the Barker Bird is going to be back. It looked like it from that concept art. So it did. It yeah. did. That'll be exciting. Okay, Craig, what about you? What's the next question here? This is a fun one. It's one that I think about all the time, and it comes from Diane. Diane says, which parks do you like better in the day, and which do you like better at night? Diane Mm -hmm. prefers Epcot and Magic Kingdom at night, and Animal Kingdom and Hollywood Studios during the day. So what is it for you, Michael? For me, the park I enjoy at night, it's, it's true for Disneyland and true for the Magic Kingdom, both of those take on a new magic at night. They, it's like they're completely new parks with the lighting. Um, I, I remember since I was a little boy, there is something about those twinkle lights in the trees. I just don't know what yeah. it is, but they just delight me to no end. I love twinkle lights. I want to have them in, in my backyard <laughs> and um, in the summer because to me that's so summery. And just, you know, Disney, they do such a spectacular, the Imagineers do such a spectacular job with lighting of their exteriors and uh so those two parks i prefer during the night um the other parks i'm fine with during the day um epcot is very nice at night i like it too but i it's harder to see some of the details because some the the buildings are so tall there in world showcase some of them it's harder to see them at night yeah but i do like the ambiance of Epcot World Showcase at night. Um, Strolling around, listening to the music, uh, grabbing a bite to eat or drink and sitting out by the World Showcase Lagoon. I think that is uh, is very nice and very relaxing and charming. Hollywood Studios, I don't care (laughs) um, at the moment. And uh, Animal Kingdom during the day uh, is when I prefer it. Although it's beautiful at night, um, the animals are not out and about, so I prefer it during the day. What about DCA? California Adventure, um, you know, gosh, it's beautiful at night. They do a nice job with the lighting, so uh, I don't have any preference, I think, over it, but... um, it it you know the, I I don't find Hollywood Boulevard special. The lighting of the Carthay Circle is very nice in Buena Vista Street. I think Cars Land and Radiator Springs. The lighting is gorgeous. Yeah, there. Um, I don't like Paradise Pier, so um, yeah, that's another one where you know turn on the bulldozers and, <laughs> and get rid of it. And I am not enamored at all by Pixar Pier. I think all they're doing, it's still bad theming, in my opinion. All they're doing is doing set decoration on a bad concept. And um, as, as President Obama said, lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. <laughs> so, you know. Um, I don't anyway. share your sentiments to that, but I, I do agree. <laughs> I'm There's aspects of Pixar Pier that I... I am concerned about, but I, I do 
I don't know. There's something, and I know this is specifically Cove Bar, but there is something about Cove Bar area sitting up there and watching that Paradise Pier area that, I I don't know, it was just, maybe it's I had too many memories there in a very short Mm -hmm. amount of time, but that was always a place that I felt like you could actually just sit and breathe and take in that section, so... Cove Bar is very nice, and lights, twinkling lights on the water are always yeah. pretty. And um, I also like the uh, Wine Country Trattoria, you know, yeah. up above. Yeah. There, that's a very nice relaxing area as well in the evening. Yeah. So. I think, for me, I agree with you totally on Magic Kingdom and Disneyland. It's, it's all night. Uh, that's literally, I... If I could literally have it night from sun up to sundown, that would that would be perfect. I, I would be smitten. I would be one of those people that if you ever had the option to only go in overnight and relive those the times where the twenty four hour days were a big thing, I was that person who waited until it was dark to show up mm-hmm. and stayed all night. I I love those parks at night. Oh, yeah. And like Adventureland just takes on this mystery, yeah. mystery at night with the lighting and, and it's dark. Yeah, so, it's um, just everything. Yeah. Tomorrowland, yeah. as terrible as it is, has an extra life to it. You know, there's there's not perfect parts. Like Fantasyland doesn't do that much for me at night, but a lot of the other areas just make up for it, especially, especially like you said, Adventureland, Tomorrowland, and then Main Street. Those, mm-hmm. those three sections right there just... Fill it out nicely, and I think that goes for both coasts at the mm-hmm. Magic Kingdom and Disneyland. With Epcot, I am half and half. I think Future World is something to be seen at night. I, I think the the neon and the lights really transform it into a more interesting place than it is in the daytime. And but World Showcase, I feel exactly like you do to really get those details. Uh, that are hidden around you need to see it in the day at night it's great but but you miss out on a lot uh by not having the proper proper daytime lighting with hollywood studios i think that's also a nighttime park uh i but that that's just my perception on old hollywood i guess everything's at night people are going going out to eat at the brown derby having cocktails dancing the night away i i don't know where i formed that in my head but that's that's my opinion. There's nothing yeah. like being at Hollywood Studios towards the end of the night where you hear that 40s, 40s Hollywood music playing the big band stuff. And it's just it just awesome. Uh, yeah. And I do like Hollywood Boulevard with all the neon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's That's special. very California and all that. I like that. I do, too. And Animal Kingdom, I'm, I'm a daytime on that. I think, like, Tree of Life, uh, the little moments that happen on it i think they're beautiful i think pandora is great at night but i i think it's a day park it really was designed to see during the day and while there's aspects it's still for the day and then for california adventure i am i'm kind of like i am with epcot i'm half and half i think radiator springs is it excels at night it's it's beautiful in the day it excels at night but overall, the rest of the park, I, I could see it in the daytime. I think some areas like uh, Grizzly Peak are just, it, it's better in the daytime. 
you have that mm-hmm. more rustic feel feel to it when when it's night it feels like when you're walking around in a forest at night it's just dark so yeah, yeah and, i agree so you you made good points about the rest so i don't need to repeat but it's a it, it is interesting how it goes to even regional theme parks all around the world regional amusement parks it's amazing to see the transformation between day and night inside inside these amusement parks because just they have such different personalities mm-hmm. oh absolutely and how they change it's interesting so mm-hmm. so i will ask you the next question okay. and i think i'm gonna move on to a film one because okay i like going in that route every now and then and i'm going to i'm gonna go with this one because i I like talking about it every now and then talked about it in other shows but i don't think you and i have ever discussed it this one's from jack uh bringing up pirates of the caribbean haunted mansion tower of terror the poor poor country bears uh all of those have been made into movies in some sort whether theatrical or television based which disney attraction that isn't already based on a film would you choose to be adapted for the big screen okay this will be a really short answer for me okay because when i i this was yeah one that i looked and thought about and i thought how many of these films were actually good films (laughs) and i have no desire to see any more films based on attractions i i would rather see original films i like the stories of the attractions in the parks i like i like that we can fill in stories with our own imaginations um i think the original pirates of the caribbean was an excellent story uh excellent film and because it took so many elements from you know the the attraction but uh the others they were not good and i know um guillermo del toro i guess there's what there's always the rumor he's going to yeah well do a haunted mansion film that would be intriguing yeah and not necessarily a rumor with that because he used to post stuff like actively saying that he was working on it and getting close to it and then it just would disappear yeah uh, but is there even a script um you know i don't know yeah but i mean that one i would find intriguing because i find his films and his art style and his direct directorial technique intriguing but um i have no desire Mm. to see one yeah i understand that the one that i would say i don't know how it would go because it, it would it could have the potential to be very very dumb Oh, but God. I would say, don't don't tell me murder on the monorail. No, um, <laughs> I would actually I would love to see because the comic was so well done. I would love to see Journey into Imagination and see okay. where they could go with that. Um, it could be it could be very broad. I could see it being a very big CGI fest uh, that goes horribly wrong and audience is finally seeing figment and being like what in the world is wrong with these disney people what what are they looking at but i don't know i i feel like it 
it could have a lot of potential with that steampunk style like they did in the comic book to translate to that to the the big screen but it also could go over looking like a another version of the wild wild west movie with will smith and and kevin klein that i've just tried to forget about for years years yeah i saw that but I, I, I think journey into your uh, journey into imagination, not your imagination, but into mm-hmm. imagination. I feel like there's the potential where with with an original story, and it, it could be interesting with the right cast and mm-hmm. and the right concept. Okay, yeah, I could see that. It's still a stretch, though. But I agree yeah. with yours. Yours is the most likely answer. Of stay away, <laughs> just <Yeah>. stop. <laughs> I have to. I have to. Um, I think I do have the hardback. You know, the the compendium of all the uh, you know graphic novels brought together for that. I'll have. To oh yeah, it. yeah. It's it, it's good. It's it's actually really good work. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, I'll look forward to that. Alrighty. Oh, my turn. Yeah. Let's see here. Um. <laughs> There's, well, I could do that one, and the answer is no. Uh, of how about, oh, here's one. Okay, Sebastian. What Disney film animated or live action that was made when Walt was alive would y'all like to see represented in the parks that isn't currently? So this uh, is reverse engineering of the last question. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. See, it, it's tough because there are, um, uh, like, there's little things, like, uh, technically you could say that The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is represented because of the Headless Horseman during Halloween time or or over in our Liberty Square having, uh, having the quick service stand that makes a reference to it. But I, I don't think we would count something like that, right? Uh, that's stretching it. A I wouldn't. Bit. That's stretching okay. it. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I do like the fact we have the headless horsemen. I mean, we have them in both parks now. Yeah, so. and yeah, that is nice. I, I think that that would be one for me that I would love. I, I would love to see that turned into a dark ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like the concept is there. Whether it's just you're being chased by the headless horseman the entire time, kind of, uh, you know. Along that same line to Snow White's scary adventures of the queen just always popping up, scaring the bejesus out of you. Um, and the, the, obviously the witch aspect of her too. I feel like something like that could be done with, with, uh, the legend of Sleepy Hollow. And if they could incorporate Bing Crosby in there in any way too, then that, that's just icing on the cake. But be, if you would have asked me this years and years ago, it would have been incorporating either Saludos Amigos or the Three Caballeros in the parks more. Because even though I, I never owned a copy of either movie on VHS while I was growing up, or even DVD, I never never bothered purchasing them. And I'm still waiting for them to come out on, on Blu-ray, which I hope it will one day. And it's looking more and more unlikely as time goes on. But I, I do have a strong appreciation for for those films too. So that, that was, but legend of sleepy hollow. That's, that's my one. Mm-hmm. I agree. That was actually on my list mm. was the legend of sleepy hollow. I, and I actually have a group of three and it's 
three that we discussed when we talked about uh, Fantasyland for the Magic Kingdom. We did the history of that. I would like to see the three original attractions that were conceived for that and uh, for that realm because the Imagineers didn't want to repeat what had been created at Fantasyland. But then Roy saw the budget going crazy for Walt Disney World and said, why are you going to create new attractions? Let's just take what we know already works and put it in Fantasyland. But of course, the budget still went crazy because the Imagineers improved on mm-hmm. the attractions and it, they saved no money. Um, one is The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. That was supposed to be one of the attractions to replace Snow White's Scary Adventures. And, you know, we guess would have ridden in jack-o'-lanterns um, and that, but they would have spun so that like, like basically a teacup and basically like Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. That's exactly what it's concept. Say. Yeah. And, and you would, you would, Go, you guests could then spin around and look. It would be the first 360 degree attraction, um, then, and and they would go through and they would encounter the headless horseman. I think yeah. that would have been cool, and I would have helped with the transition from Fantasyland over to um, Liberty oh, Square. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and then of course it would have been um, Sleeping Beauty would have been one of the attractions in there. They they had they were planning a dark ride for her. And then Mary Poppins, where you would have ridden a carousel horse yeah. through the attraction. So I would have liked to have seen those three attractions um, built. Yeah. And that's I'd like I, to see them still built. Obviously, I was going to mention Mary Poppins, but because the the rumor's always swirling mm-hmm. that we, we may be getting it in, in Epcot's World Showcase, I, I still just... I don't have, I don't want to jinx us on that one in case something yeah. does get added like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, Mary Poppins is definitely definitely up there, especially on this coast. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, because originally they were going to put um, Alice in Wonderland over there um, was the original concept, and uh, but I would yeah I would prefer yeah. to see Mary Poppins. I, I love Alice, but I I also love Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. All good. Uh, I need to ask you a quick question. It's, it's I don't want this to count as my own because I have another one right after, but this one just tickled me because I want to talk about the one part of it. But Rick asked two questions. I'm ignoring the first part. And then he asked, what Disney classic would you rather see get remade? <laughs> Apple Dumpling yes. Gang, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Treasure Island, or the one I want to talk about, Mr. Boogity? Okay. I feel none of these should be remade. <laughs> I I have not seen Mr. Boogity. You haven't seen know, it? I don't know how I avoided it because it played on the Disney Channel oh. so often. But um the others, I think they're great. They I mean, how can you improve 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? You can't. I was horrified when they were going to make it with what Will Smith or somebody? Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, the guy or The did. Rock or something. It was made. It was going to be made by the guy, and maybe this was the one that's still in development. But there's one that's in development where the guy from uh, Charlie's Angels, who directed those movies, like McGee or something, uh, that's what he was going to do. But hopefully, that was based on the book and not not what we love. 
Oh, I, th- this film is perfection. I and and Apple Dumpling Gang. Oh my gosh, you're going to replace what Don Knotts? Yeah, right. And and Tim Conway and and all, I mean, really, you're not. You're not going to. Who are you going to get? Will Ferrell and and I don't know who else. Adam Sanders. I, I don't know, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, no, no, no. Leave those alone. Um, a Treasure Island again, perfection. Every critic says out of all the versions made of Treasure Island, that was the best. It's the epitome. Long John Silver. Every pirate that came after him in every movie is based on that character. So on that 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 depiction of of a sea pirate well so um my wife would disagree with you kylie would say that muppet treasure island is the ultimate version of treasure island yes but. and then yeah and then watch that and then go to liberty square um, <laughs> but oh, that, that's very enjoyable but oh, i yeah, would say if movie. you're going with a with you're going with a cla- the classic retelling um oh it, i i agree it, with you on all yeah. all three of them uh Apple Dumpling, but, Twenty Thousand Leagues, and Treasure Island—they are all perfect. There is Disney. I don't know what they would do if they ever honestly went through a remake on them. But Mister Boogity, I—you I, need okay. to watch it. Tell me, okay. So t- tell tell us about that. It's a. I think it was late eighties. It, it had to be around that era, maybe even mid eighties, early, but definitely eighties. It's a. I believe it was made for the wonderful world of color, if I could be mm-hmm. correct. But then, as you said, it was replayed uh, just over and over and over again on Disney Channel back in the paid paid era. And then once they started coming up with original crap like Halloween Town and, and such, uh, a lot of those movies kind of took a back seat to it. But it is essentially a, a ghost story of a, a family that's in, in their house with a ghost. And it even spawned a sequel. Uh, that's how good it was. And I will be honest, like you, it was on Disney Channel all the time. I don't think I watched it. I didn't see it until it was part of uh, a Halloween uh, Halloween version of Treasures from the Disney Vault. And like, I th- want to say it was the first round that they did in October. And it was like one of the 3 or 4 a.m. movies that was on. And it's only 50 minutes long because it was made for, for Wonderful World of Color. And it is... It is bad. It is not a good movie. It is a bad eighties. <laughs> I, was, 80s I movie. thought you were going to rave about it. <laughs> but no, it it is. It's one. It's a so bad. It's good one. It, it really is, and it is. It's something that I feel like it could honestly be remade, and okay. it, it wouldn't be the same. But the the technology is so bad at the time. It's it's like they didn't have the budget. To, you know, a lot of green screen and computer technology wasn't wasn't around yet, so they still used uh, more practical approaches to do a lot of the the special effects in it, and it's just not good. So it could be remade and made better nowadays if they just took kind of the basic concept of it. But I would love I would love for them to do something with because it is it's one of those concepts. I'm sure kids of the '80s are very familiar with it. And they would eat up the concept, and a lot of other people would get to discover it for the first time. So, and maybe that would also warrant a good copy of Mr. Boogity coming out 
And I'm all for being able to see higher quality releases of old Disney productions being put out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was followed by the... I looked it up. It was followed by The Bride of Boogity. Of course. <laughs> yes. And of course, what, what happened to Son of Boogity? I, uh, that, could be, that could be the reboot. It doesn't have to be a remake. It can be a reboot. Uh, no. Okay, and and Satan appears in this film. You need to watch it. <laughs> but what, what I don't get is, oh, okay, yeah. If you think about it too much, you're not going to get any of it. I'll just warn you right there. Okay, it's, it's a good, well, I, it's a good one to add in your Halloween repertoire. A, a I, nice, I, quick, easy one to watch. I will look for that. I'm sure it's available. Yeah, it is. I think you can do like the YouTube rental for uh, like two ninety nine or something. It's it's not it's not bad, and it's on iTunes. I know that. Okay. (laughs) But I guess that one turned into a longer question than I originally intended. So you can go next if you want. Otherwise, I do have another one picked up. Oh, okay. No, go ahead. Go with yours. Uh, this one comes from Ryan, and it's Ryan Teets, actually. I'll, I'll mention his last name since he's a, a big contributor to the Diz and mm-hmm. does our monthly rumor roundups where he pulls all the rumors from uh, all around the internet on uh, Disney parks. And he asked, what do we feel is the best addition to the Disney company during the Eisner area, era, not area, mm-hmm. era? And if we can tag on who our favorite Imagineers, that is good, too, but mostly the first part. Okay, yeah, I I I have an extensive list of who my favorite Imagineers <laughs> are, Ryan. Um, but uh, I yeah, I thought about this and probably the expansion of Walt Disney World with all the different resorts that we've come to enjoy, and because really, when you think about it, there, there wasn't much to Walt Disney World. There there was just a handful of resorts. There, you know, there were the two theme parks. I don't think there were any real plans to expand. Uh, you know, now the downside was, you know, the reason there weren't a lot of resorts is because Roy and the company felt they wanted to be good neighbors with Orlando, uh-huh. so they wanted uh, folks to, uh, you know, stay at the the hotels and motor inns that had built up around Walt Disney World. Um, you know. Michael Eisner thought, why are we letting people spend money off property? And he really, he, he was the concept of keep them on property. He really started that. And also the, the theme parks. Uh, you know, we he, he got Disney MGM Studios, mm-hmm. you know, got that going. Animal Kingdom, he got rolling along. Um, Disney World would, Walt Disney World would not be the the vacation wonderland it is today if it was not for michael eisner yeah i i I completely agree with that um and i will actually as much as i agree with the broadness of what you said too and i mean well you've been you weren't totally broad you you pinpointed on a lot of stuff but like at first my answer was going to be something like hollywood studios which was definitely his brainchild that was that was something he he wanted in and i mean a lot a lot of him is in that park and is going away slowly and slowly and slowly depending on how you feel about him maybe for the better but ultimately uh I, and this is probably just because I just finished reading his biography, but 
it was really Michael Eisner's relationship with Jim Henson and being able to acquire the Muppets that I think is is huge. And even though they haven't been utilized properly, the um, with the exception of the 2011 movie, The Muppets, uh, they've never been utilized the right way. But mm-hmm. it's just the potential is there. And, you know, I I, I knew all about the the stuff that you hear about with it that like you know they they started the concept for how grand uh, the Muppets were going to have a presence and in Hollywood studios and then ultimately they started work on Muppet Vision 3D but then uh, Jim passed away unexpectedly and that was I believe from the timeline that I could put together in the book that was like two days before they were finally they finally had settled on the contracts, the back and forth, because from the announcement that they were, they made the announcement, I believe in 89 that they were going to join forces. And then it took a year of going back and forth with lawyers to kind of, to get the, the whole proposal, right. And make sure that the Jim's people were taken care of under Disney and Disney wasn't completely screwing them over on certain aspects and like Disney kept trying to go after Sesame street, even though that was off the table, but uh, ultimately they couldn't reach the contract agreement before Jim passed away. And then it just kind of dissolved, but Michael Eisner never really lost sight of that and never forgot about the Muppets. And I didn't even realize that Michael Eisner was the one uh, at ABC that, gave the Muppets the first TV show, the Muppet show, uh, a mm-hmm. chance during pilots. So it goes, that relationship goes that far back. It's, there's so much in the book, uh, in Jim Henson's biography about how anytime he had to deal with Katzenberg, it was, he wanted to just walk away. And then Michael Eisner would have to swoop in and, and come and make everything all right again. And, uh, because he was having a, a great time working with Imagineers on coming up with those concepts. And then Katzenberg would swoop in and be the grading person that, uh, unfortunately, history has has written for his story. But then Michael Eisner would save everything. So I, I would say everything he did to get and finally then acquire the Muppets is a very important thing. And I think one day we'll be happy for it. I agree. I, and, you know, as much as I, I despise them being in Liberty Square, I I like the Muppets. Yeah. And I agree. I don't understand why they can't figure out what to do with them. Some of their concepts have been just so lame brain. Yeah. And, and then some of the ones that sounded like they'd be really good, they pull back on. Well, and, and even think about like the original attraction that Jim was super excited about was the 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 great movie ride version of the Muppets that was all wrong, and mm-hmm. <laughs> everything was was going wrong with it. And that that today now, especially after losing the great movie ride, um, to then turn around and take the original concepts they came up with for that. And to put them in Hollywood studios, I think that would be hilarious. 
Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and that's as a person who loved the great movie ride to see them now, like, mm-hmm. go back and kind of uh, play on all that, but use the Muppets properly. Uh, it's I, I think just ultimately it comes down to the same problem that that Henson fought for most of the career. It's the Muppets were always a thing that was that he intended for uh, not just not just kids. He didn't want to be stuck in the mold that Muppets are puppets for kids. It's it's for adults. It's for it's for everyone to enjoy. And I think Disney struggles with the same thing. They tried the adult route with the TV show that just didn't get a lot of love. But uh, you know, it's how often are the first season of any TV show actually good? So oh, yeah. it's I I don't believe it got its fair amount of time but I, I feel the same way in the parks I don't think they're getting they're getting the fair amount of input that they should considering now uh, with with Star Wars granted it's much bigger much bigger property and should get more attention but you, you can't walk into Hollywood Studios without tripping over Star Wars now and yet the Muppets you still just got your little Pizza Rizzo and Muppet Vision 3D and that's all Mm-hmm. So, but that's me uh, on there. Yeah. So your turn. Question. <laughs> okay. Well, should we talk about the Imagineers? Oh, um, I. You can list them off. I would say, while I, I do have my favorite ones, along you know, like I, I appreciate uh, Tony Baxter um, mm-hmm. and uh, Claude Coates. Mm-hmm. Even if if we want to, would we consider Mary Blair also an Imagineer since she did oh, work? Absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely. Her as well. Um, I, I think the ultimate shout out would, while I do have the favorites, I think my favorite ones are probably the ones who have never gotten a chance to shine in the spotlight and never will. The ones who were, uh, you know, busy doing rock work, where they have studied rocks their entire lives just so that way when you walk past Expedition Everest, it looks as authentic as possible. And you will never know the names of the Imagineers who worked on that. You will never hear anything from them unless you're lucky enough to to be on a tour where they're included in it. But there are so many Imagineers that are working that never get one little bit of recognition at Mm -hmm. all. And you know what? Those are my favorite ones because when when Imagineering did become a it, like if you if you get good enough at it, you're going to be a well known one. Your name's going to be out there. Uh, the ones who who kept everything running despite not having the fame and the notoriety from it. Those are those are the ones that that are important to me. But I know that's kind of a cop out answer, but that's it's kind of no. The truth. I think it. I think it's true. Folks should know that there are hundreds and hundreds of Imagineers that build the parks and contribute to the parks in all in all kinds of areas of, uh-huh. of expertise. And we only know a handful of them. So you know that that gain um fame. Yeah. So um but oh yes of mine, of course, Walt Disney. 
the 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 first imagineer i guess yeah, you could boo. say bad answer <laughs> <laughs> so uh ken anderson he designed mm-hmm. most of the original you know disneyland fantasyland attractions he also worked on the original concepts for the haunted mansion uh some of my others exitensio we of course know his songs and um in some of our favorite attractions you mentioned tony baxter he of course he designed some of Disney's most famous modern attractions, Mary Blair. Uh, it's a small world, but oh, you know the massive murals in the Disney's Contemporary Resort. Yeah, you know, she designed, and of course the the murals in Disneyland's Tomorrowland of 1967. Roger Brogy, uh, he's he helped develop audio animatronics, Circle Vision 360, the Wedway People Mover, the Viewliner, the Santa Fe Disneyland Railroad, the Monorail, the Matterhorn, uh, and the Dark Ride Transportation Systems. He's amazing. Harriet Burns, she was the first female Imagineer. Um, she helped design audio animatronic attractions, and she helped to, and she designed the Plaza Inn. Um, you mentioned Claude Coates, uh, Rolly Crump. Um, he, he, of course, uh, he uh, designed, he was known for his kinetics. He uh, designed um, much of Epcot, uh-huh. and, and everything was very richly stylized that he did. Alice Davis, who, of course, designed costumes for many of the AA um, figures. Her husband, Mark Davis, he yeah. gave comedy to a lot of the attractions in the Jungle Cruise, the Tiki Room, Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, Carousel of Progress, Country Beard Chamboree, America Sings. Steve Davidson, we enjoy his Disney spectaculars like um, the parades, the fireworks, World of Color, uh, you know, um, Paint the Night. Yeah. So those are all his. Um, Bill Evans, he was the chief landscape um He's landscaper for the Disney parks. Joe Fowler, he designed Disneyland and Walt Disney World. You ride his boat over there, mm-hmm. so, you know. Um, Blaine Gibson, you know the sculptor, sculptor extraordinaire. You Yale Gracie, Hall of Presidents. That's right, Hall of Presidents and um, the partner statues. Mm-hmm. Um, Yale Gracie, he d- of course was special event did special effects most famously for the haunted mansion oh our our very own bob gurr <laughs> i was hoping you were going to save that for last and and then yeah. of course the most important bob gurr yeah. in case you're listening been, been on this <laughs> on the dis many times john hench who just did uh, so much exterior design work including the overall design of epcot center and he was he was known for his color palettes yeah. that he designed. Joe Rohde, you know, um, of course we know him for Animal Kingdom, Disney's Animal Kingdom, and a lot of the Disney Resort hotels. Yep. So Herb Ryman, um, I have I have some of his art hanging in my study here. Of course, the Sherman Brothers for their the music they contributed to attractions, and uh, we can't forget Marty Sklar. Of course, yeah. no. And I'd even add one more uh, current Imagineer, uh, Michael Roddy. As some mm-hmm. people know him as J. Michael Roddy. Spent a lot of time at, at Universal, but he is, lately he's been the one who has been leading a lot of the projection mapping, specifically when it comes to show entertainment at uh, at Hollywood Studios at, with mm-hmm. everything on the great movie ride and building and putting together the uh, 
the um, the Star Wars fireworks there and and all the presentations like that and you know obviously we've seen where Disney has been going with projection mapping and projection technology so it's he, he's kind of he's leading a lot of the way on that so it's going to be interesting to see how it's how it's used even further into the future mm-hmm. yeah I agree good choice okay all righty so um should oh, we, we probably look- go two more questions or so yeah okay so let's see should we move how about moving into let me take a look we have a couple more categories we haven't gotten into let me shuffle through all my stuff here um do, 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 do. let's see oh there was one where is it okay here it is. In uh, you know, our Walt Disney categories, I really had to think about this one. I Jack for- Colville. Uh-huh. I, I just realized I <laughs> skipped right over that. I forgot it was up there. <laughs> oh, I figured you were saving it for the end. Well, now um, I did. Yep, that's what I was doing. Okay, mm-hmm. okay here you go. Well, this, this is a good one towards the end. You've accepted a mysterious pixie-dusted invitation to dine at 2980 Los... Feliz Boulevard in Los Angeles, the famous Tam O'Shanter restaurant. Arriving, you're seated at table 31 across from a familiar face, Walt Disney himself. Of course, that was Walt's table. As a great admirer of your podcast, he's decided to allow you to ask three questions of him on any topic. What three questions do you ask, Craig? I... The first one I would ask is what I would ask anyone if I only had the, the chance to a, a historical figure of sorts, and that would be, what's your biggest regret in life? Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know why. It's a little morbid, but it's it's a fascinating question, and it can open up to a very long explanation of <laughs> sorts that you'd, you'd never expect. Um, I would... Ultimately, I, I would probably just because it's one of the questions that that we get asked about what he would think so much. I would, I would just flat out ask him like, "Is there any limit on anything in your parks? Even though they're not a museum, is there anything that you would honestly you want to stay forever?" <clears throat> And I mean, obviously, we know something like the castle he would answer, but uh, but I would be genuinely interested in that. And then I would say the the next question would be, where else in the world would you want to develop and set up shop for Disney? Because uh, I, I don't know. It's We know about the projects that you've talked about before, like the Mineral King project and, and such. Uh, obviously, we did the one show on what would have happened in um, uh, the, the St. Louis. And mm-hmm. like, I and it's a question you might have an answer for, and I've just generally never come across. Would Walt have even saw down the line, like building building empires in Tokyo, in Shanghai, in Paris. I would be really interested to where he would want to set up shop overseas. So I would say those are my three questions. Regrets, what you would want to keep in Disneyland, and where would you expand in the future overseas? 
Okay, good. Well, I'm hoping we sit next to each other. So, uh, so that we each yeah, we, we each hear the answers to our questions. Mine would be, was there an event or person in your life that set you on the path to creating one of the largest entertainment corporations? Because um, I, I, always, I always like to know what was the person's ultimate inspiration or what was that turning point? Yeah, someone has to push you over them. the edge. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um one, I, since he, his love of technology and all that, I want to know what is your reaction to the passionate Disney fan community that has developed worldwide since your passing, especially with the internet and social media age? Mm, good, good. Because I, I don't think he would have ever anticipated this to where even like businesses like Dreams Unlimited Travel and, and fan-based podcasts like The Diz, Connecting with Walt, would, and there's so many of them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What, what, what would his reaction be to this? So, um, and, um, and my third one would be, so you could focus on projects like Epcot Mineral King. You had your brother Roy and your son-in-law Ron Miller in leadership positions. Did you ever anticipate your family would no longer hold leadership positions in your company? Mm, that's a good one. That'd be my number four, probably. Yeah. So, um, so those would be mine. So I think together we we would have some really good questions for him here. No, we <laughs> so, we get some good ones. So let's yeah, uh, yeah. let's get together and let's find the most accredited uh, uh, psychic out there and <laughs> one the the best medium that can channel the dead and let's get this going that's right we'll do that yeah when we'll do it in a haunted mansion or somewhere yeah. you know <laughs> perfect perfect all right okay i will ask you one more question and i'll have to go to the you titled it miscellaneous and obviously mm-hmm. we mis- missed out on the chance for it to be the mousellaneous but uh, i'll let that i'll let that one slide and i'm going to choose this is, I think this is a really fun one to finish up on. If you could get this comes from Jesse, sorry, and Jesse says if you could get into a time machine and go back to any event in Disney history, which would you go to and why? Um, yeah, I thought about this because I, I thought okay, I, I know like some people will say, uh, well, I don't, I won't say because it, it might be yours, but um, I, I told Carol what I was saying. She says this is going to offend people. <laughs> And I thought, no, I don't think so. I need to know now. They, they have to spill it. You can't, you can't bait it like that. Um, I would go back to World War One, France, to the time Walt reached for his first cigarette and warn him about smoking and its effects. I didn't and even think of that. That's actually amazing. <laughs> so, um, because then, you know what? Maybe we would get... 20 or 30 more years of Walt. Yeah. Who knows what would have he would have accomplished. No, I I agree. That's that's a really good answer. I would have never thought of that. <laughs> but um I I honestly I would go for what I believe is the cheap answer. And for me, it, it's not about going there to tell Walt he's doing life wrong, but uh, it's, it's something I think everyone who has ever stepped foot in Disneyland has ever thought about, but being there for that opening, not the, mm-hmm. the first day, but the opening day 
press event when they were doing all the live stuff and Walt Disney giving the speech and being able to be on Main Street for that moment and and just experiencing it. Like, I don't, as far as the parks, if you're a parks fan, I don't know if there there could be a better moment to ever go to in in Disney history. Yeah, I mean, because you're seeing history unfold in the theme park industry, in Disney history. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I agree. If you're a if you're a theme park fan, if you're a technology fan, you're um, th- that's the place to be. Yeah, it's yeah. I, but. I don't know. I, I go with your answer, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, you'd have to come back with studies, and he would start to lose his mind about how you're from the future and coming back to warn him about smoking. But uh, and think about it. Just, oh, man, if you could go back and affect him like that, get him to stop. Think about how many other celebrities we lost way too early whether it was from smoking drugs that maybe he would have had an impact on one day by saying, no, no, I've been visited by a man from the future who said, don't do these harmful things to your body, Uh, (laughs) which, you know, know. then he probably would have been run out of Hollywood if he ever would have made it there. But But then, but then there's the whole butterfly effect, you know, yeah, the butterfly flaps its wings. It, you know, it, it, what is it? It changes, you know, it, it changes something that happens. Oh yeah, a hundred years in the future, thousand exactly. years in the future. So it's a we might not Anyways. even be here if Walt stops smoking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, so I think that was a good one. So I yeah, think what, I we're too. wrapping wrapping it up. Yeah, there. So, so well, that was fun. And I'm if we didn't get to your questions, I am sorry. I wish we had more time to answer them all but thank you so much for taking the time to send them in we will have more Q&A episodes this year so if we couldn't answer your question this time please send it in again the next time Craig puts out the call and maybe we'll be able to um, use it then or you might come up with a completely different one that we'll use yeah. and I will challenge everyone out there if, if I see you send in a Mr. Boogity question we are more likely to talk about it. <laughs> no, no doubt. <laughs> I, I love me some boogity, but yeah, no, this was fun. So we'll do it again very soon in the future here, and and I, I can't wait for it. So if if we didn't use your question, like Michael said, sorry, but there will be more. Do not get discouraged. Absolutely. Well, now it is that time of the show. It is your very favorite out there. It is time for this day in Disney history quiz. This time it is for the week of March 11th. And we have a, a, a lovely contestant joining us today to challenge challenge Craig. It is the, the charming Tyler Crouch from our West Coast team of the Diz Unplugged. Tyler, welcome to Connecting with Walt. Hi, thank you very much for having me. I, I'm I'm really happy to be here. And uh, Craig, you're going down, buddy. No, I <laughs> I like the challenge. I, actually, I, I was like frightened before the microphone went live. So, no. <laughs> yep. but, uh, thanks so, for having me. Seriously, it's awesome. No, 
We're really happy to have you join us. Uh, some of our listeners, uh, Connecting with Walt listeners, may not have met you, Tyler, or seen your work. Can you let them know what you do for the Diz? Yeah, I am an associate producer for the Diz, so, and I'm basically on the West Coast side. So I basically do a lot of vlogs, and uh, I, recently I've been doing Best and Worst of Disneyland with a few of the folks that you may know from the Disneyland podcast. Um, Mary Jo um, is on the first episode, and then Tom Bell will be on the next episode. So, you know, some familiar faces coming in. So, yeah, um, I'm... That's what I've been up to. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's what's been going on. Yep, my old colleagues there. So, yeah, we, exactly. We always joke that Connecting with Walt is the spinoff show of um, the Disneyland show. And so. best and worst is the spinoff spinoff. That's right. Good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so check out, uh, yeah, check out, go on on the Diz and DizUnplugged.com and check out Tyler's work. Um, just, just does a fantastic job. Thank you. I always enjoy it. If you can't get to Disneyland, watching watching his videos is the next best thing I appreciate to being that. there. So you. you're welcome. So, Tyler, here are the rules. We're going to test it. your Disney knowledge. And, of course, we're testing about all things Disney. It could be the Disney theme parks, Disney music, Disney films, the life of Walt Disney, or the people that helped create the Disney legacy. Uh, if you... It's going to be multiple choice questions, one for each day of the week. If you choose not to hear the multiple choice answers and you get it correct, you will get three points. If you want to hear the multiple choice answers and you answer it correctly, you will get two points. If you ask to have an, in, an incorrect answer removed, and of course it's never the one you want removed, um, and you get it correct, it will be one point. However, let's say Craig answers the question incorrectly. You can steal that question and get it correct for one point. So, got Sounds the rules? Good. I got okay. it. All right. Well, since you are our guest contestant, you can choose to either go first or pass the first question on to Craig. So what will it be? I don't know. I had some time to think about this, and um, I'm still thinking there's going to be some dead air. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I, th I think I'll go second, actually. I want to I hear the first question, see what I'm in for. Okay, get a feel for it? Yeah. Okay, good strategy there. Okay, Craig, this is for March 11th. On March 11th, 2010, Academy Award-winning composers Richard M. Sherman and Robert B. Sherman received this tribute. I would like multiple choice, please. All right. Did they receive A, stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, B, Academy Award for Extraordinary Distinction in Lifetime Achievement, C, Induction into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, or D, Window on Disneyland's Main Street, USA? Hmm. Um, wow, I'm very perplexed by this one. Yeah, that's I'll, a tough one. I'll take away one. Take away one. All right. I will take away A, stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Okay. Uh, I will go... Oh, oh man. I, I don't feel like this is right. I feel like it would have happened sooner, but I'll say Windows on Main Street. 
That is correct. Okay. The answer is D, the Academy Award-winning composers of the music from It's a Small World and the Enchanted Tiki Room, as well as Mary Poppins, Richard M. Sherman, and Robert B. Sherman, they received a tribute window on Disneyland's Main Street, USA. The window is dedicated to the Sherman Brothers Reads, two brothers tune makers with their name inscribed underneath. So, and Tyler, I bet you know where it's at, since you're our disneyland guy oh man wow uh yeah it's on main street (laughs) (laughs) very good and thank you thank you it's actually it's actually a door it's a window in a door at the 20th century music company Uh, yeah i should have been able to know that actually yeah Yeah. so okay craig you get one point so tyler good job craig virtual handshake to you thank you (laughs) and tyler you can jump ahead though with this question so for march 12th this opened at the magic kingdom on march 12th 2012 this is the magic kingdom at walt disney world okay 2012 march march 12th 2012 you said right yes so if i get it wrong craig gets to choose right he could steal it yes hmm so you've got to think is it worth a shot or i know i'm thinking I might know what it is, but you know what? Maybe I should just go with the multiple choice. This should be safe. All right. Is it A, phase one of the storybook circus area of Fantasyland? B, the interactive game Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom? C, Princess Fairy Tale Hall? Or D, Disney University? You know... I think I'm going to say the circus. Your answer is A, phase one of the storybook circus area of Fantasyland. Yes. Is that your final answer? Yes. You are absolutely correct. Yes. The Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World unveils the first phase of the new storybook circus area of Fantasyland with a soft opening. The storybook circus area pays tribute to the traveling circuses of the 1950s and 60s and features the first part of Dumbo the Flying Elephant, with Dumbo spinning clockwise for the first time in Magic Kingdom history. The Barnstormer starring the Great Goofini, which is a family coaster, and the Fantasyland train station, one of three Three stops for the Walt Disney World Railroad. Very good. Tyler, you're pulling ahead now with two points. Thanks. So it is two to one. And now I'm we're back. To, guess. Yeah, that is good. So, okay, Craig, we're now to you. This is your opportunity to jump forward here. So going into wide release on this day, on March 13th, 1969, this Disney film was the highest-grossing film of the year. Oh, um, I will do a multiple choice. Okay, is it A. The reissue of Fantasia, B. Blackbeard's Ghost, C. The Love Bug, or D. The Aristocats? Hmm. Okay, I'm glad I asked for multiple choice because I had completely forgot about the idea of even thinking about live action. (laughs) (laughs) Um, hmm. Gosh, I'm perplexed by this. Uh, I'm going to go... 
I'm going to go with the reissue of Fantasia just because I know that it was a big joke of like hippies watching Fantasia in the late 60s. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to yeah, go with, with that. With that crazy sort of psychedelic yeah. poster and all that. Yeah. That's why I put that on there. That is incorrect. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, Tyler, do you want to try to steal this one? You know what? I think I'm going to say Herbie the Love Bug. And you would be correct. Yeah. Mm. Disney's film The Love Bug, starring Dean Jones, Michelle Lee, Buddy Hackett, and Joe Flynn, is generally released. This was directed by Robert Stevenson. It actually had debuted last December 1968. And, of course, this is a film about a race car driver who becomes a champion um, driving a Volkswagen Beetle who has a mind of its own. This will be the highest grossing in the United States during 1969, and it will lead to three sequels and a limited TV series. And, of course, it does enhance the Volkswagen Beetle's image. So, Tyler, very good. That is one point. So you have three to Craig's one. And it's your turn. So, okay. On March 14th, 1920, cartoonist Hank Ketchum, best known as the creator of Dennis the Menace, is born in Seattle, Washington. What is his Disney connection? Oh, boy. I almost feel like you've probably talked about this in a past episode. Um, I'm going to have to go with the multiple choices. Okay. A. Dennis the Menace was the first comic strip to feature non-Disney characters. Dennis and his family, along with Dennis's pal Joey, visit Disneyland. Or is it B? Hank Ketchum and his family live next door to Walt Disney and his family in Holmby Hills. C. Hank Ketchman was an animator at the Walt Disney Studio. Or D. In the first cross-promotion between Walt Disney and a non-Disney television show, the 1958 episode of Hank Ketchman's Dennis the Menace television series episode, Dennis Goes to the Movies, shows a scene with Dennis's parents leaving him with a babysitter so they can have a night out to see the Western Disney film Tonka. (laughs) Wow. Uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, C. You are correct. He started in the business as an animator, first for Walter Lance, who of course created Woody Woodpecker, and then Walt Disney for three years. And you might be surprised to know he worked on such films as Fantasia, Bambi, and Pinocchio. And in 1951, Ketchum created Dennis the Menace, who was based on his four-year-old son, Dennis. So very good, Tyler. Thank you. Where did you come up with some of these answers? That that was a... (laughs) I mean, that, those were the, some involved answers. I Thank like you. It. It, it does take me a while. <laughs> I'm very creative. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, okay. Hey, Craig, you better got to step up here. So your it's, reputation's on the line. I will say okay. it's, it's one, of those, one of those matches where I have known <laughs> the answer to, to Tyler's. More than my own. Isn't that always the way? You know, I agree with you too, Craig. I know the answers to mine more than I know to yours, honestly. (laughs) But it's just how it's worked out. Exactly. It is funny. Okay. Okay, Craig. This Disney film became the first full-length movie to be sold on Apple's iTunes Music Store on March 15th, 
2006. Oh, um... Now, you're our film guy. Yeah, well, except I still don't buy movies on iTunes. <laughs> That's why you're the film guy. Because I... <laughs> movies on iTunes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Um... See, part of me wants to be bold and just outright guess. It would definitely... That would boost your score. It, it would boost the score, but and your rep. Since only by one, I'll do. I'll do multiple choice. All right. A. Cars. B. High School Musical. C. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Or D. The Nightmare Before Christmas. Hmm. I. 2006. Correct. March 15th, 2006. And, sorry, the answers were Cars? Yeah, A, Cars, B, High School Musical, C, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, or D, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. I could have swore that Cars came out in summer of 2006, so I could be wrong about that, but I'm going to eliminate that. Um, I, I feel like that was an off year for Snow White to be really, if it's Snow White, yeah, no, that's, that can't be, um, Nightmare, uh, I'm gonna go High School Musical. Good guess, which makes sense, it's iTunes. In another first for Disney and Apple, High School Musical, Disney Channel's hit, becomes the first full-length movie to be sold on Apple's iTunes Music Store. That's terrible. (laughs) That was some good critical thinking, though. Yeah, that was. Very good. Yeah, good good thinking it through. Yeah, well, I knew Snow White just came out digitally for the first time, like, two years ago with the Walt Disney Signature Collection. And mm-hmm. I so, yeah. It, yeah. Putting it I together. My first inclination was Snow White, but yeah, but I would have been wrong. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was definitely between Nightmare and High School Musical, and Nightmare seemed too obvious. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good 2006 movie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tyler, he's Craig is creeping up on you. So oh, it's no. three to five in favor of Tyler. Okay, Tyler, Tyler. Okay, on um, on March sixteenth, nineteen sixty one, Walt Disney's black and white live action comedy, The Absent Minded Professor, starring Fred McMurray and Nancy Olsen, is released. What well known Disney personality performed in the film as Fred McMurray's stunt double? Oh, jeez, Michael. <laughs> give, me, give me the uh, multiple choice okay. on that one. Okay, was it A, Wally Bogue, who performed as Pecos Bill in Disneyland's Golden Horseshoe Review? B, actor Dean Jones, who would become one of Walt's favorite film actors? C, actor Guy Williams, best known for his role as Zorro in the Disney television series? Or D, Fess Parker, best known as Davy Crockett? Uh, and I, I can take one away. I'm right. I can. I'm gonna do that. Okay, you're gonna remove one. Okay, yeah. I will remove. Uh, C. Actor Guy Williams. 
And that was Zoro, right? That's that was Zoro. Shoes. Okay, I'm okay. So, who were my other choices again? I'm hey, sorry. It is no, that's okay. It's A. Wally Bogue, who performed as Pecos Spill in Disneyland's Golden Horseshoe Review. Okay. B. Actor Dean Jones, or D. Um, Fess Parker, best known as Davy Crockett. I'm gonna say Fess Parker. That is incorrect. Oh. So. Oh, no. And then Craig, now Craig has two choices. Craig, you can steal. So who was Fred McMurray's uh, stunt double in okay. The Absent-Minded Professor? Was it Wally Bogue or Dean Jones? Um, hmm. I, I don't know. I don't want to be rude, but it's very, I doubt that very seldomly a lot of stunt doubles eventually went on to have prosperous careers in front of the camera as themselves. And I, I obviously know that Dean Jones did, but I'm not sure about Wally Bogue if all he was doing was Disneyland. So Wally Bogue, I guess. Very good. That's right. Disneyland performer Wally Bogue is McMurray's stunt double, particularly in the airborne scenes. And what Wally Bogue said, I did most of the tricks, especially dancing around with the leading lady. I did a rumba with her, and they would trap me up with a wire. I was wearing his mask, so I was Fred McMurray for all those big leaps. Um, The film is produced in black and white to facilitate a number of unique special effects. And uh, the film's uh, Medfield Fight Song was written by Richard and Robert Sherman. And this was their first song for a Disney feature. So very good. Okay. Well, Craig, you are slowly creeping up on Tyler. Good job. So it's four to five. Oh, yeah. There you go. Okay. We're close. Yeah. Okay. And Craig, this one's for you. This is now March 17th. This Disneyland attraction officially opened on March 17th, 2005. A Disneyland Resort or Disneyland Park? Yes. <laughs> hey, I had to try. <laughs> um, uh, okay, I'll go multiple choice. Okay. Is it A, the happiest faces on Earth? B, Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. C, Space Mountain after a two-year reconstruction. Or D, Block Party Bash. Um, ugh. I'll go Buzz Lightyear. You are correct. Oh. Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. It was the newest ride at Disneyland. It uh, officially opened in Tomorrowland after two weeks of soft openings. Of course, this was a video game-inspired attraction based on Toy Story 2. Um, it will have a special grand opening on May 5th. Um, also reopened on the same day was the Disneyland Railroad, which had been shut down since December 2004 for reballasting, regaging, and new block signals. Well, Craig, you know what? You pulled it out of the hole. Oh, no. Six to five. Good job there, Craig. Hey, it could have went either way. So. <laughs> you were a worthy competitor, Tyler. I know next Maybe. week when... You choose to go first. 
I will be feeling the same exact pain, I'm sure. Okay. I am going to be like getting all my Disney history together, and I'm going to come back next week for more. Excellent. Well, well, Tyler, we'll look forward to having you next time in a return match with Craig. Connecting with Walt will be taking a spring break for the next couple of weeks because Craig is traveling to Italy with Dreams Unlimited Travel in the Diz. Uh, Craig, can you tell us a little about your trip? Yeah, I will be uh, spending a, a long time, uh, way longer than I, I haven't been on a two and a half week trip, I think, since the very uh, second trip I ever took with the Diz where I was gone for three and a half weeks. So it's a long one, but luckily I'll be with my wife on this one. So uh, I, I am counting my blessings every day, but I'm going to be able to spend some time in Rome before uh, going on a Viking ocean cruise in uh, semi-oceans because uh, we're not, we're going to be in the, the Mediterranean Sea going around the boot of Italy and we are uh, we are going to be on our big group with a whole bunch of dizzers. I don't know what the final count is. I believe it's over a hundred, which is very exciting to be going to to Italy and going on that sailing with a hundred of our friends, either currently friends or will be friends after we finally get a chance to meet them, and and then ending the trip with uh, something that I consider myself really lucky for is that I will be fortunate enough fortunate enough to spend easter sunday in venice and i while i'm not i don't i'm not catholic i wasn't raised catholic i I did go to a catholic school i will most certainly be finding uh a a church that i can i can spend easter sunday on and because i when do you get to do that in your life to to say you spent one of the uh, arguably the most religious holiday in one of the holiest countries in the world uh, you just don't so i i'm excited to wrap that up and then i'll be back stateside so it's going to be it's going to be an adventure i'll tell you with that and hopefully along the way i'll find uh, a little bit connections to walt in in europe that'll be wonderful i hope so, so i do too it'll be great if not, I'll make it up, and we'll be we'll be famous for having the inside scoop years and years later on Walt Disney's travels through Italy. And um, the Cathedral Basilica of Saint Mark is the cathedral church um, in Venice. So, oh, um, so that's that's where I will have to go. Excellent. Yeah take photos <laughs> so and um although there won't be any episodes for a couple of weeks i'll be busy preparing for the return of craig and connecting with walt on friday april 6th so until next time then craig um where can our listeners connect with you on the diz mm-hmm. well you will be able to find me sparingly here and there because uh <laughs> we won't be on the air that much if you're listening to this right away, I know a lot of our audience it takes a long time to get to 
to these episodes, so I, I forgive you for that. You'll probably be able to find me everywhere, but you know my normal places. I'm in the Walt Disney World show on Tuesdays, Thursdays on the Universal Edition, uh, Daily Fix on sporadic days of the week, as well as you can always find me uh, posting funny stuff on Twitter and sometimes on Instagram as well with my handle being Teleclaster. So what about you, Michael? Well, you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And of course, you can connect with me and Walt on uh, the Connecting with Walt Twitter page at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at www.disunplugged.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And I plan to be at the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco on Saturday, March 17th and Saturday, April 14th. So if you're there, please be sure to say hello. So, And thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. And we'll see you on April 6th.